Hello and welcome to Founders Unplugged. I am your host, Greg McCallum, also known as the Pay As You Scale Commercial Advisor. Before we start, just wanted to let you know all these conversations are completely voluntary by the founders who are involved. So please give them some love. They're, they're very busy individuals and they're taking up to two hours out of their day to come and sit and chat with me about themselves, about their businesses and about all other kinds of stuff. Look in the uh, description uh, on whatever platform you're watching this and you will find links to them for their LinkedIn profiles and also the projects and the startups they're working on. So do go and check those out. And while you're at it, maybe give me a bit of love too. Um, I do this as something on the side to my main business. I run a company called ThinkWork. Um, and so if you're looking for any advice, I also do free uh, commercial advice um, for those for up to one hour. That job allows me to do this. Thank you so much. Uh, enjoy the episode. Please do um, show love and appreciation for them. And of course, for this episode, if you enjoy it, like it, subscribe, share. Without further ado, I've talked long enough. Enjoy the episode. Thank you. Bye-bye. Founders Unplugged, hosted by Greg McCallum. Hey, Greg. Morning. Hi. Good morning, Daniel. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Do you prefer Gregory or Greg, by the way? Uh, either is fine, but Greg is shorter and easier to say, so maybe go with that. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Do you sure. prefer Daniel or Dan? Uh, e- e- either's fine. Most people call me Daniel. Um, okay, yeah. I'll I'll stick with Daniel then. It's it feels more respectful. I don't know. Why. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> uh, oh, why is my note taker drawing? I don't want my note taker in here. Let's get rid of him. Bloody robots taking over. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, how's things? Yeah, not not too bad. Um, we. We've had good sort of um, good like growth of users over the last few months. So like we're pretty pleased with that. It's like sort of twenty percent growth month month on month. Uh, oh, so yeah, pretty pleased with that. Like it's really cool seeing how the internet works its magic and people yeah. in random countries that you've never done any targeted marketing to suddenly start using what you've built. So that's yeah, yeah that's kind of fun. Um, what's, yeah. what, what's the the most surprising country you've had users activate? Uh, let's have a look. We can... So I should have zoomed in the screen a bit. Yeah, so I mean, like US, like which kind of the strength of um, like how we've been taken up in the US, despite not doing any marketing there, mm. is kind of interesting, and then also. India and um, I think likewise the uh, sort of African continent. Mm. That's um, interesting, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah these, these things spread. I mean, you know, I, I know for one, I, I speak to a lot of founders on a, on a daily basis and I recommend your platform all the time. And I think that's the way these, these things spread, right? Is people just recommend to one another and it's a sort of somewhat viral um, capacity, right? Yeah, I think, um, I think being free helps a lot with that yeah <laughs> definitely yeah uh you know, f- fundraising founders re- rarely have lots of cash to go and deploy into like a like a, a a license of tens of thousands of pounds or dollars yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. well look we, we've kind of already jumped straight into it but um uh y- there is some sort of structure to this <laughs> sure. not, yeah. not very much but kind of um so uh so yeah as you saw when you came in we, we already started <laughs> so uh I, is it all right to to to, to show the, the, yeah. the screen the screen share yeah okay yeah, so yeah okay. I, went, I went edit that out um so look the best way to i find to start these things is to um is to to get my guests to introduce themselves and tell them 
uh, tell our audience a bit about themselves and what they do. And um, you know, maybe that's given a bit of a, a bit of a spoiler there. So that's fine. Um, so so yeah, if you don't mind, if if you could introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what you do, and then uh, we can get back back to it and back to talking about it. Sounds sounds good. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm Daniel Safko. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Shipshape.vc. Um, so it's a free-to-use uh, investor search engine, and what it does is it basically it aggregates investor content and the investments that investors are making, and makes that free to search. So it's a bit, yeah, it's it's, it's a bit like um, we think of ourselves as almost like a, a mini Google that's really specifically focused on um, helping founders basically save loads of time because they can identify very quickly which investors really get what they're on about. Um, yeah. and, and, and that kind of, I suppose we'll probably get into a bit more detail later on, but yeah, uh, some of the searches that we get from founders are insane and we learn every day about new technologies that we had no idea existed mm. in, in the world. And that's probably one of the best bits of the job actually is, is learning that. And um, how, how we came up with the idea, we kind of, well, I was working in the same company previously as, as Alistair and the CEO had asked me, can you go and find which investors we should go speak with for our Series A? And that was really tough, really, really tough. I, I said yes, not really knowing what I was getting into, but mm. it was quite early on, it might have been day two. And, and so I thought, oh, this is just a research exercise, how hard can it be? And actually turns out that um, one, most startups are doing something that's pretty niche. And most investors, or most most databases and lists that are out there, don't make it easy to find which investors are interested in your niche. And yeah, that, that, that business was doing um, a really uh, very specific part of international tax compliance called FATCA and CRS, which is like two different two different tax regimes and they're doing software in that space. So trying to find investors that are interested in that was, uh, was right. quite challenging. Yeah, I can imagine. That's a really interesting, so, so did you end up working with Alistair on that particular project? Hence why you then sort of span that off into, into what it is now? Or, or, or was that, it, did that um, involvement working on this together come a bit later on? Yeah, so it came, came a bit later on. So um, Alistair joined about six months after, after I did. Right. And but we did work together on, on that Series A. So um, right. we collaborated a lot on like things like the financial model um, and also investor outreach and those communications, those conversations with with investors. And, and that was yeah, it was good. It was a, a good way to establish a working relationship. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And so so was it more that the the idea came about as a result of going through that process, or were there some um, some actual processes that you'd already put into place that you're like, wait a minute, if we were to take this out and scale this, you know, was it a bit, a bit of both? So how, how did that come about? Uh, so, so honestly, no. So I, I the um, I ended up leaving the business after after just just a, about a year, right? And I sort of burnt myself out, and it took some time for me to do some thinking about, okay, what have I learned? What do I want to do next? And it I actually ended up doing a bit of consulting work um, for a US company called Fanmio. And they were raising, but the CEO was raising at a really high valuation, even, even for the market in, hmm. in sort of 2020. 
it, it was a really high valuation for where the business was at. But what the, I mean, the CEO is a tremendous hustler. He absolutely phenomenal. And he had somehow got half of a contract for, for a boxing match right. between, uh, I think it's Logan Paul and Floyd Mayweather. Wow. Okay. So, so he he had Logan Paul like agree like basically having agreed to do this fight, and the other person that was needed obviously was, was Floyd Mayweather. Yeah. Uh, and I realized at that point, one, it's really difficult to find. It was really difficult to find investors again mm. for that business. That it was sort of, they were they sort of doing like um, almost like cameo style like uh, celebrity interviews, like merch packages against that. Mm. But um. What was really obvious was actually the best way of financing that business wasn't necessarily via equity, uh, like equity via VC. It was actually to leverage the fact that they had something that could be potentially a massive asset, uh, i.e., this this fight, and mm -hmm. owning the rights to it. Wow. So, yeah. Um, long cut a long story short, I basically helped to structure a means of financing the deposit for Floyd Mayweather to sign on the dotted line. So that, that mm -hmm. fight could happen. And it was at that point where I was like, okay, right, this bit was way, the bit of finding VCs that were relevant to this company was way harder than this other form of finance. Actually, there needs to be a better way of founders identifying who might want to finance them and to fund their venture. Uh, mm -hmm. And that, that's kind of what helped crystallize that. In addition to being in like South Wales during lockdown, and it's quite a deprived uh, region of the UK. Mm. Um, amazing beauty. Uh, there's some brilliant stuff happening in businesses there. And there were some really entrepreneurial tech-driven responses to lockdown and to all the disruption that COVID caused at the time. Everything from pharmaceutical deliveries to, to your doorstep mm. to, um, to farm to fork uh, programs yeah. where it was sort of, yeah, making sure that the disruption that supermarkets were experiencing wasn't um, sort of translating to sort of lost income for farmers and also sort of lack of availability for consumers. But it's really obvious that these businesses didn't have access to the types of financial capital that might have enabled them to go national and then potentially international with that. And so that was almost like a uh, the moral driving force for wanting to do this and for wanting it to be free, for wanting mm -hmm. founders to have access to the mission critical information that cuts down the time it takes to speak with relevant investors. Mm. There, there is almost there almost is something quite democratic about what you've done as well in that sense because you kind of touched on it there you know a lot of founders i speak to um tell me that they're really struggling with with um networking because of where they live you know especially in the uk you know that the, the the general consensus is you know unless you live in london <laughs> you're not a proper founder right and and i think that is slowly changing thankfully um that, that it's not too based on geographical location i certainly know investors care less and less about where you live but in terms of being able to create the opportunities right being able to go to networking events and so on if you're in in some little village out like you said you know in, in south wales or you know or somewhere up north um you know you don't exactly have an easy commute to to the big city um to, to take part in these events and find these very specific types of investors this this in some way democratizes that and enables you to go out and find those very specific people and in some ways i mean makes it a lot simpler than having to speak to 100 people to find the one right you can just go straight to the one yeah i, I think that's yeah i think you really hit on something there so yeah if, if someone's living living in, in cardiff or, or swansea uh or manchester birmingham liverpool 
and they know that they need to come to London for a networking event. Mm. Their cost, the sunk cost of going to an event is really high, whereas for a London founder, it's relatively low and they can afford to roll, roll, roll the die multiple times mm. on, on that. But actually, if you're a founder and you're away from uh, the center of financial capital, uh, one, obviously, it's great that VCs are deploying uh, in a more geographically distributed way. I think pandemic really helped sort of uh, break the dam on, on, on that one. Mm. But networking is still really important. So if you are a founder outside of London, how do you make sure that the precious capital that you do have that you're giving to like great Western railways or whatever it is, just to be able to go to London for, for an afternoon or an evening. Mm. Yeah, how do you make sure that that goes as far as it possibly can? Yeah, and, yeah, that, that's something that we really not to, to mention the uh, all of the various charges for the pleasure of being in London as well. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and and yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, I I, I love London, but I, I can understand why why people choose to live uh, elsewhere. Um, yeah, li likewise. <laughs> yeah. I, I love London, but I I understand why I don't live there <laughs> very yeah. clearly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, you're you're based in Cardiff, right? Yeah, business is based in Cardiff. I actually, right. I, I actually live in West London. My my wife oh, right. okay. has a desk job uh, here, so that that sort of keep, keeps us here. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I'm up in Cardiff like once, twice a week. Um, oh, okay. It's it, it's a great ecosystem, brilliant place yeah. to, to to base a business. Uh, there's a really great ecosystem. You can navigate from one side of it to the other, um, you know, within a few conversations and handshakes, which is something you can't really do in, in London. And so that, that size means that you've got ease of navigability uh, from the different things that you might need, whether those are customers or potentially, source, potentially sources of capital yeah. as well, especially That's early stages. And, and for anyone listening as well, um, we, we had your co-founder on um, not too long ago, in fact, a few weeks back um, on, on an episode, um, Alistair, um, and he's your CIO, um, I believe. Very interesting guy. We had a great chat about all sorts of things. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, t t tell me a bit more about that. Like, you know, one of the things that I hear a lot of um, in, in what I do and, and we see a lot of online is talking about the importance of finding the right co-founder. You said that, you know, sort of within six months of starting, you, you, you came across one another. How did you know it was a good fit? Or is it a good fit? <laughs> Are you at each other's throats? Because, you know, it's a lot like a, it's not like a marriage, right? Um, you know, how did you know that it was the right, uh, the, the right circumstances and, and the right person to work with? It's a really good question. I think there's just, we, we have different viewpoints. We solve problems in different ways. And as you will almost certainly have gleaned by speaking with Alistair for, for a little while, his mind works just at a, diff, a different speed to everyone mm. else. Yeah. He, he is a supercomputer. Uh, but it, 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 <laughs> yeah. with, with I he, I'm convinced he has a quantum brain, not a not a biological one. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, that, that, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that actually works. So between, between us, that that works really quite well. Where um, I, I'm quite deliberate, methodical. I like observing systems for a while before thinking, okay, here's how I would change it, mm. and. Alistair is really good at sort of executing mul multiple operations almost simultaneously and asking lots of questions uh, about the way that something is working, should work, et cetera, et cetera. And between us, I think that, that works quite well. And we also, you know, we're, we're a business, we need to make money, but we also want to do 
good for the world. And that's something which I think uh, really unites us and gets us through moments where, yeah, inevitably it is like a marriage. You do have difficult moments. You do have uh, the need to almost like constantly renegotiate and readjust. Mm. Um, and as long as you can do that playing from the same sort of rule book, that's fine. Like if, you, if your ethics and moral compass are, are aligned, then actually you can consistently go in and sort of say, uh, um, I think that this is this is wrong, we should do it this way. And, and actually you can discuss objectively the merits or lack thereof or of that particular proposal. We're quite dispassionate when we talk about things. We, we, we think, we've, we both think quite rationally and I think that that really helps. In, in terms of the way that we, we assess situations and we assess the need for change. That's a, that's a really interesting uh, set of points you brought up there around sort of the alignment piece versus the the areas in which you differ, because that is a difficult balance to to, to strike, isn't it? And, and you know, I think that that is why, you know, the, the, the comparison of a marriage is brought up, because if I think we all know, you know, based on literature and based on what people say, that a good marriage should mean that, you know, you're both very much aligned with the end goal, which is to, to you know, to, to be happy and to, to have a, a, a you know, a flourishing family and, you know, all those things. Um, as soon as the goal changes, then obviously, you know, if one person disengages from that goal, has goals um, that, that run counter to the main goal, then things go desperately wrong but you can be very different people and it still works because and if anything that you can if you complement each other and in, in, in filling you know the gaps of each other's weaknesses or or you know uh, complement each other's strengths then that's an incredibly important way of you know an incredibly important dynamic but all too often i think you see the extremes of that right where you have two people who are so different that that even their perceptions of the goal are actually not entirely aligned you know that the the, the the vision isn't entirely the same um and i think that can be quite problematic or or you just find uh, uh you know I, I have encountered those uh founders or co-founders in the past who just believe that they can do it all and they don't need anyone else and i think that's i think that that is a large part of what causes a problem too is not recognizing in fact what you don't bring to the table you've too focused on what you do yes I, yeah couldn't agree more that that's a um we both feel very lucky, I think. Mm. Uh, I put, put words in Alice's mouth, but we both feel very lucky to have someone that, that is aligned, that uh, we can sort of rely on as sort of support. Like, uh, I, yeah. I got uh, the impression he agrees with that sentence. Yeah. No, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a miscut I get hauled hold, hold up uh, on later. So, yeah. The, it, we're, we're very, very lucky, I think, with, with that. I, I, yeah. It's. Um, one of the best decisions I think I've ever made in my life, I think. Good. Well, I'm sure we'd be very happy to hear that. So, um, I noticed that you um, you studied in Oxford. Is that right? I did an Oxford fintech program. So, so yes, program. Yeah, it's, okay. uh, that's my hometown. So, uh, you know, yeah. good stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> were, you, were you were you there? You were there for a year, I think. Is that is that how long the program? Yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's not, number one. It's a yeah, several month program. Uh, very much. It was relatively early days of UK fintech um, mm. which I, i've always had so ever since university back in 2010 i've had my first role in in, in a fintech uh and it wasn't even called fintech back then that, that's that's sort of how, how long long ago it was mm. uh, but yeah it was a really interesting uh program some real experts and people that and entrepreneurs that i really look up to that were sort of delivering that 
course. And actually, and 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 actually, a VC uh, who's based out in the US now, but used to be the head of corporate venture at what was then Thomson Reuters before it became Refinitiv. And there, yeah, it was a really good course to go through, and really, I think, along with so you get you know that get the um, you get a level of tuition and quality of education that is hard to replicate elsewhere. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what it's known for, right? Um, yeah. What did you make of, of of Oxford itself as a as a city? I mean, we call it a city, but it's not technically a city. But what did you make of, of Oxford City itself? Yeah. So I, I um, so that's actually where my wife and I met. So she was doing oh, her, really? her master's there. Oh, okay. Um, and yeah, that it was a uh, yeah. So to, it, it, Oxford will o- always be very special uh, mm. from 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 that perspective, uh, as well as from uh, you know, an a- educational perspective. So sure. yeah, uh, it's a great um, it's a, gr- a great place to to be, and if you can spend some time there, ideally, I th- whilst I think obviously going there as a tourist is very interesting. I think if you, if you get an experience of what it's like to live there, and if you mm. get a little bit of the student experience, that's whether that's because you're Pay, paying for a course and going there to study properly or just because you've got very close friends there uh, i would thoroughly recommend having an insider's view of it rather yeah. than going there as a tourist um, not least yeah. because the pavements just can't cope with with another tourist out of there so. <laughs> yeah they really can't <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and it's it's multi-layered well i mean i suppose like most places you know if you go there on a surface level as a tourist you're only going to sort of you know scratch the surface of things and there's a lot more underneath like with most places but oxford is definitely a bit of a treasure trove of of, of a cultural hot pot of of, of of experiences and think you know and things to explore it's um and it, it's not necessarily too obvious uh, from from a you know an outside observer until you sort of like you said actually you know really start experiencing it for sure. Would um so was your wife from Oxford originally? Is she an Oxfordian? Uh, so she is not from there originally. She's actually from uh from just outside Swansea, which is oh, okay. the reason for my being in lockdown uh in right. South Wales. Uh, so yes, yeah, that, that's that's where where she grew up. Um, so yeah, she was. Alas, alas, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Well, that's it. Yeah, a lot of uh, I know of a lot of um, uh, very nice uh, love stories that have occurred due to Oxford um, meetups. It is a, a place where a lot of people from all around the world meet, and that's one of the things I love about it. Is that you know the, just the, the mass, the diversity of it, the the the, the you know the, just that it's very different from the kinds of um, uh, the, the kind of sort of cultural diversity that you find in a lot of other places i find it's it's way more um i don't even know how to describe it but i I think you know what i mean right it's you can go to london and you can say that you know oh it's very diverse you know and very culturally mixed place but it it feels like it it, it's so big that naturally what happens is these little pockets start to form and it's actually not particularly mixed in a lot of places whereas oxford really is you go to a pub you sit down and you will have a group of people you know, one person from Korea, another person from France, another person from Italy. Like you will just, it is just absolute insanity, and it's amazing. Like I love everything about it. You know, yeah, I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and there's, you know, there's a level of, I think this is really important. I know there's been some, some level of, um, there are certain movements in the West that perhaps would result in a lack of cerebral diversity 
But mm. I think one of the really powerful things about places like Oxford, like Cambridge, is the fact that you do have people from different walks of life, from different cultures coming together, and actually that there is a, a cerebral diversity in the way Absolutely. that solutions are tackled. And, yeah. and that's another thing that I think over the uh, what feels like a lifetime, but is actually only coming up to three years now, the fact that even internally we're we have diverse means of thinking about problems and come from different backgrounds. That diversity of thought is ultimately what has enabled us to not quite, it almost feels like cheating at times. Some of the simple, simple inventions and additions and innovations that are made just by having that level of thinking internally. Mm. Um, and, and I think, yeah, places like Oxford, the reason for their success is ultimately bringing together people who think differently yeah, rather absolutely. than in a, in a very um, uh, mono-computational And you're absolutely right, because that example I gave of, you know, you go to a pub or a restaurant, you end up, you know, surrounded by different people equally. Like some of the best, you know, conversations I've ever had have been with just absolute strangers, which you can you can engage in very meaningful conversation (laughs) with absolute strangers and be like, all right, well, that was really lovely. You know, five hours of my life. Lovely to meet you. I'm going to go about my day now. And you've just literally, you know, touched on on some of the main, you know, some really interesting topics that you probably never talk about ever again. You know, it's it's, it's wonderful experience. I, I do need to go back there. I don't go back there nearly <laughs> enough. I'm getting excited just thinking about it. Yeah. Um, my, even my Oxford accent is starting to come out now. Can you tell? It's, <laughs> yeah. I'm, start, I'm starting to enunciate a little bit more clearly. Um, yeah. Um, but look, let's let's go back to, to ship shape. So because um, I, I am really I'm, I'm a huge fan of it, I, you know, uh, and, and I think it's, it's something that is really, really needed, uh, uh, you know, especially as we're seeing. Uh, such an, an insane rise. Oh, my doorbell's gone. Of course it has. This is the perfect timing. Um, someone else can deal with it. Um, but no, it's, it, you know, and I, I don't know if you'd agree with this sentiment. Perhaps you can tell me. Um, but, but I, you know, I do feel like, you know, everyone and their mum has a startup these days, right? Um, and uh, so, it's, you know, the, the competition is, is, is 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 at an all-time high and i think we are seeing that as a bit of a knock-on effect from from lockdown and and you know the, the virus that shall not be named and so on where a lot of people um took the plunge into entrepreneurship and and, and uh, becoming a founder um so it's a really interesting time for it i think it's very much needed i i you know are you a sort of um was that sort of factored in to some degree in in why you decided to to to, to put together ship shape or, or really was it sort of more of this perfect storm of necessity versus sort of you seeing an idea like you mentioned about how it catalyzed w- was there much sort of thought put into that or uh so I, I quite like thinking about things on a relatively macro level right so in the west growth rates are relatively speaking, significantly lower than they were even 60, 70 years ago. Because uh, a lot of economic low-hanging fruit has gone. And what that means is that governments are really likely in the long run to give more and more support to the types of innovations that enable growth to happen. Uh, and so therefore are, are, are shifting away from, oh, let's... Um, uh, we want to build a textile workshop into, well, how do we split water into releasing hydrogen in a way that's effective that can then power the next 
the next sort of manufacturing potential manufacturing revolution or almost almost going going to a, a different different level and and i think one of the other really interesting things that has also occurred even in the last decade is that we've gotten better at testing hypotheses and disproving the need for a business sooner which means that you don't use as much capital in order to do it and if you think about things, why is that do you think why have we got better at that failure right when you rack up enough failures and enough people observe those failures um and also i think that um there was actually i can't remember where the article was there was an article recently about founders that follow the scientific method i.e like following a, a method of testing hypotheses are more likely to succeed and I actually think that they're probably more likely to just realize failure sooner rather than carrying on with, mm. in, with the absence of evidence. Uh, and, and that is something that means that capital allocation is more wasteful. I think also those who are allocating capital are taking better steps to de-risk the allocation of that capital, uh, even down at like an, an angel level. More angels are wanting to see basic hygiene factors. And again, going back six, seven years, I don't think that there was the same level of standardized, you know, where's your data room? Have you got a financial model? Like these just basic questions. I, I don't think that they necessarily were as ubiquitous, but they organically have become standards that people expect to adhere to. And therefore there's a, um, a network-based filter for whether or not actually an idea is worth funding. Mm -hmm. So, so what you're saying is, in some ways, that the the very nature of the fact that um, you know, due to a, a mixture of reasons, we've now got uh, investors being a lot more uh, stringent in the areas in which they, you know, the data that they require, you know, the, the, the need to see traction and, and all that is is in some ways kind of uh, sh shaping the natural evolutionary landscape of of the, the startup ecosystem. That it's that it's acting as something of a filter, essentially, to 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 not let bad ideas go on for longer than they need to, to some degree. Correct. Yes, I, I, I think we'll continue to get better at that. But yeah. I think it's really interesting is it is the growth in no code and low code solutions mm. and the ability to simulate computationally physical things too so mm. you know ai making breakthroughs in sort of uh, drug and vaccine development would previously have required physical things and the throughput of you know tens of thousands of different variations of um, compositions of drugs, etc. Mm. That these advances have drastically reduced the barrier of cost to progress, and even things like the ChatGPT, uh, for example. What I'm really excited about is how many more businesses become possible because there's a, you know, a reasonably intelligent AI that you can task with certain tasks. Granted, you've got to give it instructions like a toddler, uh, mm. but uh, there, there, there's almost uh, not quite human capable, but there's an assistant there that's capable of doing lots of tasks for you. 
and that yeah. was exciting. But but you know it is absolutely. But it, but it's interesting because of what my my sort of takeaway from that is is something I've been mulling on for a while anyway, which is that you know essentially that you know it's a reactive um, response, like almost an immune response from from those that have the money to like I, like I touched on a minute ago, the fact that you know everyone and their mother has a startup, and what I mean by that is I think it's accelerated by innovation within within the startup ecosystem that it's very easy to emulate the appearance of having an innovative um, venture, right? Um, easier than ever. You have the tools, there's the knowledge, you know, there's a lot of access to information as anyone who wants to become an entrepreneur to take a potentially quite bad idea and build something around it that gives the illusion that it's that is um, innovative or or interesting. And, and whereas, you know, a few years ago, that would have maybe slept, slipped under the the radar and actually men managed to get funding and and probably you know be essentially on life support for for a long time now the immune response is um is finding that quicker perhaps and it's you know sort of catching up a little bit and um and, and preventing that from happening as much but i i wonder you know that's probably going to be quite a continuous battle within the startup ecosystem right as as things innovate on both sides of that um that 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 fence yeah, I, I think we saw, yeah, it, it, it does. It does, and and I think there are some. A lot of this, by the way, a lot of this, by the way, is me. Sorry to interrupt, but a lot of this, by the way, is me just coming up with the things that I I, I haven't necessarily fully formed, and I'm just sort of getting it out there because it's is interesting, and, and so if it doesn't make any sense, just tell me. <laughs> no, I think I think it, do, it does make sense, and I think so. Yet VC hype trends of what mm. they want to throw money into, uh, and generative AI being. Um, the, the latest of of a series, uh, and I would posit that it's a better place to throw money at um, than like funding monkey JPEGs. Like, yeah, it, I mean, there's there is a reason for it. It's not being yeah. done arbitrarily. Like, there is a, there is a legitimate reason for it, which I, th I don't think those that aren't in that space fully understand. Yeah, I, and and but to your point. Are others trying to do copy? Like, are others trying to copy and um, stitch together a bunch of off-the-shelf things, and then say that they're AI businesses in the hope that that means that additional capital gets thrown their way? Of course. But I think it's this is going. This is something that's going to be so ubiquitous that it's kind of like saying, "Oh yeah, we use electricity in our business." It's going to be part of the course, and ultimately over the long run, such methods of trying to obtain capital just aren't going to work. Mm. And you still need to solve a problem at the end of the day. Like anyone can visit and do something and not generate something useful out of it. If you can use it to generate something useful and you can do it better than others, then then you've, you've got a business. Right. Right. And that, that is what it comes down to. Absolutely. I'm sure at some point, you know, saying that electricity, you know, um, is faxed into your business was probably, a, you know, part of the gold rush. That was like probably the AI equivalent now. Like, really? Oh, well, take all my money. You know? Well, I mean, so, yeah, I think there was a, <laughs> if, you, if you look at the, um, the, sort of the turn of the uh, turn 19th century, you, you had a chief electricity officer. Right. Yeah, we should bring that back. I think we should bring that back. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> but, but it, it was it was because it was so important to the running of these businesses. Yeah, a bit like you know, 10, 15 years ago, chief data officer was an absolute requirement at board level. Hmm. Yeah, 
yeah. and, that, and, and so I, I, we'll, we will go through these phases where these technologies are so important that there's, there's got to be representation at the highest level in the company. It may be, maybe the newest uh, executive position will be chief prompt officer. Something like that, yeah. It's really important. And actually, um, a lot of time, so our, our data science team, um, yeah, they get a fair bit of time to experiment and to hack around. And mm -hmm. yeah, a fair amount of that time has gone into prompt engineering for obtaining the results that we need to get in order to add levels of usefulness to the data that we get and then presenting that back to our users so that they can basically make better decisions. Yeah. Do you, um, sorry, going really sort of in a, in a left turn here, but do you think we're in a recession currently? Uh, in real terms, yes. Uh, and what I mean by that in what I mean by that is are we getting poorer? And I think yeah, well, on an individual level, uh, as a country, uh, oh both, yeah, but on, on, on both both levels, yeah, we, we, we're getting poorer. Right. Um, we we we've, we printed a lot of we printed a lot of money uh, during COVID, and we also via furlough gave we, we expanded the money supply. Um, and continued paying people salaries for fewer goods and services that were then produced mm. because people weren't working as much. And, and therefore, you've got more money chasing fewer goods and services, and that has a knock-on effect. Um, yeah, and, and so I'm not surprised to see inflation where it is, and that inflation is obviously eroding mm. individual and national prosperity. Yeah, what 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 would you um? And look, I, I'm not suggesting with this question that you're you know maybe you know you're a politician or an economist or anything. Uh -huh. but what what would you what would you say are some of the things that can be done um, to to tackle that from 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 at least your vantage point? I mean, we've got to have a very serious think about. I think property in particular in this country, uh, and you know you, you look at. Um, someone walks into a million pounds in the uk they don't think oh i want to back 50 tech businesses and i'll get a really i'll get potentially a really good return on that um i think you need to have a reasonable portfolio and um a portfolio based approach in terms of risk but we have a an obsession with property mm -hmm. and so and beyond providing a roof over someone's head um, it, it's not contributing that that much, and and because we're not building many houses, you're essentially acting as a rent seeker. So you are saying, I'm going to capture some of a network that isn't growing, and I'm going to basically derive income from another person's salary. For and, and granted, you know, you're providing notionally a service by putting a roof over, over their their head, but you're also crowding out people that do need properties. And the long run effect of that is. People don't live where they should be living. Um, other people continue to think that putting all of their life savings into property is a really good thing and not allocating it elsewhere. And so I, you know, if you look at everything from the balance sheets of big banks in this country to the way that uh, the Treasury earns quite a lot of 
income from inheritance tax. There are a lot of vested interests that don't want property prices to go down, but we are literally killing off and crowding out capital allocation to other parts of the economy that actually will make us more prosperous. Because the world doesn't need another buy to let landlord. The world does need another 20 unicorns, um, making a genuine difference and also you know, ensuring prosperity occurs. And uh, I was lucky enough to be at a round table a couple of years ago with uh, Andrew Bailey, uh, Governor of Bank, Bank of England. Um, and whilst I completely disagree that inflation has been caused by people asking for pay rises, um, I, I think it has been caused by the Bank of England uh, getting trigger happy with the printing press. Um, he did raise a really interesting point, which is, uh, and as point of the discussion was, uh, software is is quite deflationary, and and automating things is also deflationary because something that required a very high input cost took a lot of resource previously is now being done for a fraction of that price and with competition the price drops for, for things like compute power for example right. a fraction of what it did 15 years ago yeah i mean in that sense all innovation is deflationary right yeah quite, yeah exactly yeah you, you have um, really good deflationary effects that are non um non-deleterious you can just buy more services like you know your time being freed up because you have a dishwasher uh, or a, a washing machine is something that is just net beneficial mm. in terms of the value of the human time that was freed up, freed up. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So, so, um, yeah. I mean, in terms of in terms of the, and I know we're, we're sort of really going off tangent here, but it's a really interesting area to explore, but. Um, how did that roundtable come about? You, you know, so how did that come about? The, the what? Sorry, the roundtable you were mentioning there. How did that come about? Oh, uh, so um, uh, there's a, an innovation centre in Cambridge called St John's. Uh, yes, St John's Innovation Centre. So it's part of St John's College. They right. work with a few entrepreneurs and uh, yes, just via um, networking and that innovation centre being interested in our search engine. We're invited along to that, which led oh, to a couple okay. of really, yeah. Uh, one of the really cool things that came out of that is our search engine being used by the Cambridge Judge Business School uh, MBA uh, and Venture Capital Program, where oh, wow. actually the students in that program are basically tasked with here's your business, it's doing something specific, go and find which investors we should speak with. And so basically gets them to walk through in a practical way. The difficulties that an entrepreneur might go through mm. in identifying sources of capital and going through that that process of okay who do i want to speak with and why mm. oh that's great that's a, that's a really nice uh uh use case well it's a great use case isn't it i noticed you you uh, i do want to come back to something about property you mentioned in a minute but but, but um i noticed you, you you and alistair both use the term um, search engine a lot when talking about um, ship shape, which I think is really important, right? Because Alistair kind of explained why you, you you referred to it that way, and I think you kind of did at the beginning. Um, but really briefly, before we go back to the property thing, um, yes. can you can, can you qualify that? What's so important? Um, because I understand it's a very important part of the vision for, for ship shape. So, so, what is so important about referring to ship shape as a search engine, as as opposed to any other term that that we probably see some variants of already out in the marketplace? Yeah, so, so um, there's 
bit of a difference between maintaining a database in which you can run structured queries against. So if you look at Crunchbase, Crunchbase is a database. Uh, the people who can enter data into that into that database are basically anyone on the planet. Mm. Uh, and and that, that database is updated by people going in, they're editing their profile. Um, there's often not a means of, but you have potentially misaligned incentives. So if you're a business and you, if you're a tech business, you could lie that you raised a certain amount of money, for, for example. And unless there's... Really? You can do that? I didn't realize. <laughs> All this time. Yep. <laughs> Should have, could have, yeah. Yeah. Missed opportunities. Damn it. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and then, then you can, yeah. And, and then you also, the way that you search through it, the way that you extract results is you have to structure queries. It's not that you don't query a search engine, but you've got to basically preset a load of filters. And then I think crucially, databases are very often not semantically searchable. So you could type in um, uh, sort of like biofilm for wound healing into our search engine. And even if there's not an exact match for that precise search phrase, we will semantically point you to things that sound like it. Right. But you cannot do that as easily in a database. In fact, usually what you've got to do is you've got to use preset categorizations of the types of entries in that database in order to look through it, which is where you end up with a huge problem on a marketing perspective or a, a marketing intelligence perspective if you're a founder or if you're an investor, because a fintech founder isn't actually a fintech founder. Sorry. Um, they are a fintech founder, but what they're doing isn't just fintech. Mm. They will be doing some type of like I don't know, open banking um, infrastructure technology or um, like something to do with FX. They could be doing a whole range of things that actually sit in a far more specific area underneath that sort of that grand term. But if you can, it's like Alistair mentioned. He said that he's not a fan of the sit codes for that exact reason. That these 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 categories are just way too broad and aren't helpful in 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 the in the you know these sort of situations because they they just they're far too big an umbrella. Like you said, there's a lot more nuance to what a business actually does day to day. Yeah, and and these categorizations make sense for something that doesn't change very much. Mm -hmm. So you know, um, having a sort of um, postcodes or areas of London, that makes sense. Like tagging an air, like um, categorizing an area of London as being like Brixton, that makes sense. It's not going to change. Mm. It's not going to change. And if it does change, it's not going to change very much. Like, you might have some boundary reform, like once every 30, 40 years. But like beyond that, it, it doesn't really, really happen uh, very often. Whereas if you're dealing with an area that by definition is changing all the time, if, if we think about innovation, like there are new breakthroughs happening all, all, all the time. Is a tag used to categorize an entire area 20 years ago still going to be relevant today? Is it going to be helpful to people finding, needing, is it going to be helpful for people who want to find something really important quickly? And the answer to that increasingly becomes no, because mm -hmm. 
if you've only got a fixed number of categories, but you've got an increasing number of points you need to reference, the relative usefulness of those categorizations drops with time. And so, right. makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I, I was going to ask um, another question about the property thing, but I, I you know, we, we've only got an hour because, you know, I know how busy you are and, and, and I really appreciate you taking the time to be here. So I want to try and use this hour as, as wisely as possible. So um, I, I'm really interested to, to, to understand what your um, what advice you would be giving to, to founders currently. And I know this is a very commonly asked question um, for for CEOs, um, especially in your space. But I think it's a very important one because like we've touched on, it is a very difficult point right now for businesses for, for a whole range of reasons that we've very loosely alluded on. Um, maybe another time we can delve into a bit yeah. more if we have a bit more time. But um, uh, but I, I'd be very curious to get your perspective. You, you, you're obviously very privy to an enormous set of data at the moment, which I understand you're, you're adding new features on. I saw a post recently, for example, about the insights that you're hoping to provide a few months down the road um, as to whether or not investors are actually deploying investments and so on. Really interesting potential new feature and, and, and a lot of other things you're working on. So, so you know, given that, that, that quite unique vantage point that you're at, um, are you able to provide any insight, uh, you know, advice, tips to to founders out there currently looking to raise? Aside the from the obvious, which is use ship shape, uh, <laughs> which they absolutely should be doing, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, that's a really, good, really, really good question. So, I think doing doing research is a really good way of leveling the playing field for a conversation with an investor. Ultimately, founders put themselves very often at a disadvantage with an investor by not having researched them. And that means that you're starting off on the back foot in those conversations. And starting off on the back foot in those conversations is something of a warning to the investor that you're displaying behavioral characteristics that mean that you're not going to be as likely to sell equity to someone else in future for a higher price, which is ultimately all that that investor cares about. They want to see your ability to sell the equity that they're buying today for more tomorrow. And if your, behavior, if your behavioral traits don't align with that view, then you're going to be making things quite difficult for yourself. Interesting. I mean, in some ways, you know, to, to, to break it down to really simple terms that I think we can all understand, um, you know, in the same ways that you would prepare for any interview, right? You, you wouldn't go into an interview for a job unless you've done, I mean, for certain jobs anyway, unless you've done your due diligence on the company that you're looking to, to hopefully work with. And would you say that that also serves a, a, a purpose beyond even just that, but or maybe in a, in a bit more of a simplistic way, in terms of just being able to make a meaningful uh, human connection through interaction, because you have, you know, some something to, to to connect with, something to talk about, like you know, that actually just just gets a relationship off to a good start, right? Yeah, I, I, I think that's um, that's it, right? You're you're looking for areas that you align on. Hmm. And if you don't research, you won't know that you went to the same school or that, for example, Oxford might be a special place for for the other person in the conversation too. Hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, I, so I think you know, as very well demonstrated, just by just by looking at at, at my LinkedIn, 
you saw that I had some some sort of connection to Oxford, and therefore we had a conversation around that, and that really helped. I've I've actually been following you around for a month without you knowing. So I, I when I research, I don't just go on LinkedIn. That's a very lazy way of researching. I actually follow each of my guests around um, in a car for a month. Um, <laughs> make notes of what they're doing. <laughs> no, but but, look, but but I think that that type of research and this this is for a, a one hour podcast. And granted, there'll there'll, there'll be effort and time after it. Mm. But we're not talking here necessarily about investments numbering into the hundreds of thousands. Mm. And but if you were to engage in a conversation that was to do with those types of numbers actually doing research on who your counterpart uh, is counterpart is going to be uh, is just common sense yeah. and that, that's sort of that that's i think the, the, the biggest advice that i could give to founders is do your research um we have been burned previously by not i don't know if we um we were engaged with a, a family office that was setting up a fund supposedly it never happened right. and, and we at the time didn't have access to data that one way or the other should have suggested we do more diligence mm. and that's one of the reasons why we really want to the um the post the post i put up um you did mention in that post that you had experienced something similar to that before so that that's presumably what you were referring to exactly yeah so so mm. i'm not saying that there can't be new funds with no track record there are all the time, but it just means that you need to have a certain level of additional diligence mm. into uh, another fund's activities. To, who do, who knows the person in the fund or the people in the fund? Like, what do they think of them as, as individuals, as characters? Have they ever sort of co-invested? Has money changed hands before? Has there been mm. a commercial relationship before that you can really delve into? And I think by providing evidence of the absence of evidence, you therefore know whether or not you should ask additional questions. Mm. And I think, you know, the, the, the benefits of what you're suggesting here are threefold, you know, aside from the, 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 the sort of social um, positives of that, being able to have positive interaction, finding common ground, um, you know, demonstrating the the, the, the skill set that is most desirable. But then, you know, the third, which is I think that, um, you know, it, it, it the psychological one which is you know as as a founder especially first-time founders very nervous going into a lot of these interactions and they're often asking what should i do to prepare you know how, how do i quell the nerves and i think actually just spending a bit of time like you said to do this research can help in in a psycho uh, the feeling of being psychologically prepared to, to enter into these conversations that in fact that you know you, you feel like you've done something in order to prepare even just doing something minimal can can have that effect the, a calming effect to, to let you feel i'm ready for this in interaction i'm ready for this meeting i've i've done my my due diligence on it and due diligence like you very rightly pointed out here isn't just in the hands of the investor which is often the perception that you know more often than not they haven't done any <laughs> due diligence in these especially early on like you know that, that's the point right of them wanting to speak with you is they want you to tell you about them um and they're sometimes having you know hundreds of these these meetings a week so uh, they don't have the time so but yeah but at least that's my my 10 cents there i think it, it can help from from that perspective too just in the same way of you know before going into a, an interview like to go back to that or an exam you know or something just knowing that you've actually done a bit of studying can make you feel a little bit more relaxed when you're in that situation right 
Yeah, I, I think that that then carries through to what the chances are of a successful conclusion to that interaction. Absolutely. Because, yeah, if you sense that the power imbalance is wrong, both parties will likely edge away. Mm-hmm. And if they, yeah, and therefore that that then has a huge, huge impact on, um, well, that then should be serve as a really clear message for founders that actually, if you go in well researched, it will be a much more level playing field, and mm. you might it becomes a much more human conversation. Right. Um, and you know, thinking about aligning interests, it doesn't seem totally out of out, out of out of whack. Like you you are literally in there to align interests, mm. and if you have a misperception, or if you if your um, perception of their relative strength is wrong, then you're unlikely to be able to align interests in mm. the way that makes sense for both parties. Yeah, really good advice, really good advice. Is, is there any, anything else you, you would add to the, to the advice you provide, or is that, is that your, main, your main headline, your main takeaway that people should be, uh, should be latching on to? Keep hustling. Like keep if, hustling. Yeah, <laughs> if, 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 you can, if you make something happen today that, um, uh, that you'd normally put off to tomorrow, then yeah, you, you start making marginal gains that, that stack up over time like do that linkedin post even if you're not if, if you even if you're not quite happy with it mm-hmm. uh, like go go to that event even if you're a bit nervous um, and yeah it's amazing how uh kind of get long tail effects so like um be comfortable being be comfortable being uncomfortable right yeah exactly yeah and, and, and you never know where help will come from mm. and if you're front of mind that with people, you're much more likely to generate positive momentum for yourself. Mm. So I just get the, much like much like the podcast, right? Get, get, right. Get, getting started and like uh, I think I think Harry Stebbings with Twenty Minute PC, like they did a few hundred before they even started getting any, any type of significant traffic. Right, and 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 I think that's a really important point, and it's and it's advice that I. I'm very often giving to, to, to first-time founders, which is, you know, it's noisy out there. First of all, um, you need and you need practice in uh, building your confidence. So, what's the best thing to do? Put yourself out there. Just yep. keep putting yourself out there. Like you said, even if it's rubbish, no one likes the content they first put out, but you've got to put it out because, if, like you said, you'll be front of mind. You know, there's nothing better than situations when you sit down with an investor and they go, wait a minute, I reckon you've been in my feed for the last, you know, <laughs> like, and I was yeah. like, yes, it's like, oh, I love your videos or I love your content. You know, that's the situation you want to be in, ideally. You you, you want to be somewhat known to yeah. them. Yeah, the, the number of conversations I, I, I have now where it's like, oh, yeah, I see your LinkedIn stuff. It's like, okay, I have no idea who you are, but you feel, yeah. you feel like you know me. This is a good, this is a great way of starting off a, an interaction. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, LinkedIn is literally the, the the online, you know, networking platform for professionals. It is it is your it is a huge room where you know thousands, millions of professionals are, are, are networking. So you don't necessarily need to be able to, or, you know, have the access to a networking event. You've got one on your computer on your phone. So you know you've got to leverage it. The only, the only problem with that is it's not a room full of hundred people. It's a room full of millions. So you need to make some noise to be to be seen and heard, right? Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's uh, yeah, we're in agreement on that piece of advice for sure. Uh, the other thing I was just going to say was um, your that marketing message, the the um, neat synopsis of what it is that you're doing, 
will be potentially hundreds of iterations away. Mm. And that's okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, everything is potentially hundreds of iterations away, really, in, when, when you're early stage, right? But that, that is a really important... Yeah, that's a really important thing to to bear in mind. Really good advice that, yeah, it's not always nailed um, straight off the bat, is it? Um, and that can be, I think that can be quite disheartening for a lot of founders. I know I've been in that position too. And in some ways, you know, I'm working on a startup now and, and we're in that process now of, you know, finding how do we, we, we know the value, but how do we nail that, you know, in a sentence? How do we how do we really make that clear? How do we blow people's socks off in the same way that we do? And it's very difficult to do when you're in it, you know, day in, day out. You can sometimes struggle to see the forest for the trees. You you understand it intrinsically, what, what it does and, and the problem it solves. But actually explaining that to someone else concisely, especially on a platform, you know, platforms that remove context is a very difficult thing to achieve, isn't it? Indeed. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Um, yeah. So you just got to keep doing it. That's your advice. Yeah? <laughs> Basically, yeah. Good advice. Yeah, keep doing it. If it doesn't work, survival of the fittest, right? You know, get rid of it, decommission it, make it extinct, bring in the new ones and keep iterating. That's the way yeah. to do it. Well, look, I know our time's up. And um, yeah, look, I, you know, I think we could easily talk for way longer, which too, even, yeah. to be honest, <laughs> even when we do the full two hour ones, like, you know, we, we end up sort of being like, really, it's two hours already. So, um, so we'll definitely have to do this again if if you're ever able to. Oh, I know definitely. how busy you are. Yeah. Um, and who knows, maybe we'll meet in person sometime soon as well. If I'm up your way, um, it'd be great to to catch up and and continue this conversation. Um, yeah, oh, great, great. That would be that'd be amazing. Um, would really like that. Really enjoyed speaking with you. And yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. Likewise, thank you again so much for being on. And uh, yeah, for anyone listening, go check out ShipShape. All of your, you know, the links to your, your profile and, and the website, everything will be there um, with the video and, and, and the description and the audio and everything like that. So thank you. I'll let you carry on with your day. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Greg. You too. And uh, have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching and or listening. Please like, subscribe and join the conversation in the comments below.